two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And folks, we've got a big, big show. We have actual talent on the No Outlet Podcast tonight. Uh, I have made it annoyingly clear uh, on the show that I'm a huge uh, improv nerd. And our guest tonight has what I would refer to as a black belt in improv, uh, which makes me a huge fan of her work automatically. And in fact, when I was taking online classes with UCB, um, they would have us watch um, different YouTube videos of people doing the Herald. And the first time I saw this person perform was during one of those uh, those required viewings. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm never going to be that good, A. And B, this person just makes it look effortless. Just so funny and it seems like uh, a very limited amount of, of um, um, effort was being put in. And for those of you who don't know, the Herald can be kind of a tricky thing to master, uh, especially coming in, not really having any idea what it is. So um, it was encouraging, um, but it was also kind of intimidating. Um, but uh, in any event, I, I am very happy to have her on the show. And in addition to being one of the best, uh, part of one of the best improv groups in the world, in Rats Graps in New York City. Um, she's also fresh off an appearance uh, on the show last week with John Oliver. So without any further ado, please give a warm no-outlet welcome to Alex Dixon. Hey, Alex. Hi, that was so nice. Thanks. Well, you made it easy. Herald's are hard, so I'm glad I made it look like Herald's <laughs> are hard. I, I can I can confirm. Harder for some than others. All right, we're going to play mm-hmm. a game called 20 Questions, and it always starts the exact same place, and that's with question number one. Question one, what is more likely to be factual, in your opinion? Aliens have been living among us for years and years, or that the Loch Ness Monster was actually real and alive at some point in time. Mm, ooh, the at some point in time made that harder. Mm, sorry. Hmm, I'm going to go uh, aliens have been living among us. Is much more likely to be factual. Yeah, because I think alien, we can think of that as a lot of different definitions. I don't think like my neighbor is an alien. True. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if, <laughs> if um, octopus, pie and some of those deep sea squids um live in the deep ocean and also spend time in outer space there's so many things we don't know about them that it's it feels to me like they are on a different level i like that yeah no because i mean and you think about like the loch ness monster there's really one one photograph everybody's seen it and that's supposed to be what we're pinning our hopes on compared to on the other side, you're so right. Like there's many different ways for us to think about aliens um, and an octopus or a, one of those weird monk fish with like a light, a lantern fish. Yeah. That's like four miles down. Yeah. Who knows? Those could be, maybe the deep ocean is some type of like alien jail. So if you do something really messed up, they send you like, all right, you're a lantern fish for the next like 200 years. And you're four miles down. Yeah, because they. I read that like there we. I think it's for the squids that live really far down. Mm-hmm. We don't have footage of them doing almost anything. Right. So what are they doing? They might not even live down there. They might fly away and then hang out down there sometimes to get food and then they go back to Mars. Right. We don't know. If if a squid falls in the forest and then flies away, does anybody hear it? I don't think so. 
Um, question no, number, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Question number two. Uh, so I'd like you to uh, provide your perspective on this. It's a really important question. Rank in order of overall cultural impact the three things I'm about to say. Star Wars, the Star Wars saga, right? Harry Potter mm-hmm. and the entire Harry Potter universe or Jersey Shore. So you can rank those one, two, and three. <laughs> um. Oh, wow. I feel like you got to do Star Wars first because there's probably an argument to be made. I'm not a big sci-fi person, but I feel mm-hmm. like there's probably an argument to be made that Star, without Star Wars, Harry Potter doesn't exist. Okay. Um, I mean, I know wizards are different than, you know, Jedi, but there's an overlap. Um, so Star Wars is first. I'm going to say this is very in a bubble of somebody who teaches improv, has been teaching improv for a while. <laughs> I I see so many scenes about Harry Potter, and okay. I'll tell you something embarrassing. I read the first book, and I think I've seen two movies, and that's where my Harry Potter knowledge ends. Um, and so every time I see an improv scene that is about Harry Potter, I can fully note it on the improv alone because the references mean nothing to me. Right. Um, I've never seen a scene about the Jersey Shore ever in my life. Um, even in 2006, I wasn't seeing scenes about the Jersey Shore. So I'm going to go Star Wars, Harry Potter, Jersey Shore yeah. last. I think that's the right answer. I mean, Jersey Shore, does, they deserve to be the last of, of pretty much any list. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Star Wars because without Star Wars, there might not be a Harry Potter. And J.K. Rowling has come out and said – uh, in no uncertain terms, that she got a lot of inspiration from the story. And there's a lot of parallels between, um, you know, Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Darth Vader father thing and um, Voldemort having a connection to him. So I, I, I'm I'm going to say that that's the correct answer. So we're two for two. That's oh, good. good. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad there was a correct um, all right, so you're from Chicago, I think, and if I get that wrong, you can correct me. No, I'm from Connecticut, but oh. I lived in Chicago for four years. See, it's so funny. I was going to say, and I didn't want to be so presumptuous, I was going to say your voice, because I've listened to you talk a lot, and I've, I was going to say, okay, uh-huh. what kind of accent is that? And it sounds like <laughs> there's a little bit of Northeast, but then there's definitely some Midwest, and I'm just so it kind of cut confused me a little bit, but there's the answer. You know what's weird? I went to college in Atlanta also, and I would say starting at 18 when I went to school away from where I grew up, I've and then moving to Chicago and then even now back in New York mm-hmm. for so long for that whole my whole adult life. People are like, "What is your accent?" And I'm like, <laughs> I, "I don't know." Um, but a lot of people, even before I lived in Chicago, would be like, "Oh, are you from the Midwest?" So I don't know what it is, but I will say that sometimes I do catch myself doing, uh, uh, not, I'm trying not to use acting school terms. I'll just use acting school terms. The, the, ah is a pat vowel. Yep. And I will find myself, myself, I'll hear myself do a pat vowel as an A, which is very Chicago, like, uh, yes. um, bag instead of bag. And I, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I think it's so gross. <laughs> oh God! When words are gross, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, anyways, th- that kind of changes my question a little bit, but I'll just reframe it. So, being okay. in Chicago for four years, obviously, it's a good place to, you know, to fall in love with improv. But I guess my mm-hmm. question is, 
what was the first time that you actually saw a live improv show? Mm. Um, it had to have been high school. My high school had an improv group. Oh, that's uh, so cool. So short form. And I wasn't on the, I didn't audition my freshman year. I didn't even think about it, but I went to their shows um, and I thought it was fun. I don't remember being like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I just remember being like, this is cool. And then my sophomore year, there was a new acting teacher at school and I had to, you had to take a performance based art for a semester to graduate. And that included like you could take speech. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, so I took acting and this teacher who I still am in touch with um, loved improv and acting class was just improv. Oh, that's um, so cool. And then she was like, you should audition. And I was like, no, it's, those are like, that's a, what? Like as if it was like, she had said you should audition for SNL. It was like the improv team. Um, but yeah, I definitely saw them once or twice my freshman year of high school. And their name was just Taft Improv. Taft was the name of the high school. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have a lame pun for a name or anything. Right, right. But, you know, it's almost like the generic, you know, improv team. It's like, that's our team. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, first of all, I think it's so cool that there's the ability for somebody in high school to to do improv. And I'll take it a step further and say that I almost feel like at both ends of our life journey, like, I think improv should be at a very basic level, should be introduced super early, like, if you think about improv, at least from my perspective, a big, huge piece of it is really listening and listening mm-hmm. and then and then adding into what's going on. And, and so that's the nature of communication is listening and, and adding something to it. And I feel like if there's there's a lot of things we're not so great at right now as a nation. But I think one thing in particular, you could certainly say we're not great at communicating. And I, I feel like if at an early age we introduced some, you know, basic yes and uh you know ideas games to kids and just kept that going just kept it going all the way through i think we'd be amazed what a difference that would make and then at the tail end you know people retire they get a little bit you know uh set in their ways and now especially with zoom i mean there's no reason why we shouldn't be linking every 75 year old person that's got you know a pulse onto a zoom thing and like let's see how many people out there want to play improv games online and Let's see if that doesn't help offset, you know, some of the, the aging things that happen. Maybe you can avoid dementia. Who knows? I mean, because all you're doing is you're firing a muscle, the muscle that is the brain. So uh, anyways, that's a, a, a too long of a comment for a very short question, but I'm, I'm glad you had improv in high school. That's cool. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. I also think it's like a nice way to introduce, um, trying to think of how to say this, just like the actual experience of connection at a young age um because even if you're not doing a great job in a scene or maybe you miss something you're not really listening you're still at its core connecting with another person and making eye contact with them and and creating together and i think that that is a very cool unique experience that like kids do all the time when they're playing but i think it's a fun thing to kind of add an element of teaching them how to do it this other way yeah so i agree with you that's cool um, hey, who do you think is behind the nonstop calls about all of our auto warranties being out of date? Mm. I'm glad I'm not the only one that gets those. <laughs> oh my God, it's nonstop. Uh, wow. I mean, is it connected to like back in the day when you get emails and it was like from people supposedly in other countries trying to scam you? Is it like the next version of that? Is it like 
a bunch of teenagers in like I don't know any Estonia, country, yeah. just like yeah, in a basement, just like because it's all robot voices. It is. So I wonder if that's just the the other way that they're trying to rope people in. Yeah. Because otherwise, why hasn't it stopped yet? Well, see, also, the thing that weirds me out is I've owned a car once in my life. <laughs> I owned a car in college, and then I moved to Chicago. I didn't need a car. I moved to New York. I didn't need a car. My one car I owned for two years, it was a Subaru. And the calls that I get always reference my Subaru, and that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's been – I sold that car to my sister in – 2003. <laughs> wow. And you are still showing yeah. up on the auto ship, uh, auto automotive ownership roles. Wow, yeah, I hate wild. it. And um, it was a used car. I don't know if that makes a difference, but. It should. I mean, um, and, and the other thing that's weird about it is, so I always break it down to, okay, where is it stemming from and why? So the, the emails from, you know, I'm a prince and I'm, I'm in this country. And if you want to, you have to help me get my inheritance, and all you have to do is send me, you know, five hundred dollars or whatever the scam was, right? They kept sending those emails because there's some certain percentage of people that kept doing it, so it was working, right? Right. So then you think about this call. Everybody gets them. Everybody hates them. Most people that are getting them don't. Ninety nine point nine percent of the people don't have a problem with their auto warranty, and yet these calls have been going on for years. So therefore, I. Unless it's a group of kids in a basement, which, by the way, hats off, guys, best prank ever because you've got everybody hating it. But if it's not that and it's somebody who's trying to, you know, make money, then somebody is clicking on the button and somebody's doing whatever it is that that ends up at the end of the rainbow that that is making them continue to send these calls. But I uh, whoever it is, uh, please just press the stop button. Just stop that. Well, to be clear, I think the kids in the basement are making money, but I think they're making money for some, like, evil adult who's, like, paying them, you know, $4 an hour. Okay, okay. So I think it's still a money scam. I just think it's, like, akin to those, like, um, you know, they talk about, like, some of the misinformation on Facebook is, like, this, like, just 24 hours a day hackers. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they're not the people making money off stuff like that. They're making money for some, like, evil person who lives alone and is ultimately sad. <laughs> well, you know what? Not saying people who live alone are sad because I live alone. I just think that person is sad. No, as do I. And I, I think that that person should be sad. They deserve to be sad. The people that mm-hmm. are putting out those calls. All right. So this, now that I know you've only had a car for a total of two years, um, <laughs> this, this next question isn't going to be nearly as important, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So what's the more annoying driving habit going back to the two years you had to drive a car uh tailgating or not going fast enough in the passing lane and just keeping everyone behind you oh my god that's so hard because i hate both of them right um you said more annoying yeah the the one that if you could if you could wave a magic wand and one goes away which one goes away i i think i gotta do tailgating Mm. because the going too slow in the passing lane, to me, it's easy for my brain to be annoyed with that person, but also be like, well, maybe they're having a really anxious day. <laughs> like I, I just It's easier for me to automatically have empathy for them while also like blasting by them in the right lane. But the tailgater, it I never assume that person is kind or going through something. I just think they are... It came out of their mother, a fully formed asshole, and they continue to be that. 
And it would take, like, I'd have to get out of the car and work on it for me to be like, you know what, maybe maybe they were on their way to the hospital and they're having an emergency. Like, and then I'm like, but part of my brain's like, no, they're not. They're just a huge dick. Yeah. But the, the slow in the right lane feels like, oh, that, or the left lane is like, oh, that person shouldn't be on the highway, but they have to be. And I hope they're okay. (laughs) Right. No, absolutely. I think that's fair. I think the other aspect of the tailgating that makes it more, you know, worthy of being propelled out of here is the fact that it's not safe. Right. I mean, like if you're going slow in the, in the left lane, you know, it's, it's annoying and you, and, and maybe all those things are true and they're having a bad day, but you're not really putting anybody's life in danger. Whereas if you're up somebody's ass and you're right on top of them, you definitely are. And that's how a lot of, you know, accidents happen. So um, it's very scary, especially at night when that person is on you and their, their headlights are on. It's terrible. I hate it. Me too. All right. Do you remember the first movie that you saw when you were younger and that made you realize, okay, that's funny, and I understand why. Like, you know, because there's different types of funny. There's when you're five and somebody falls over, it's funny. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. simple things. But then there's that point where, you're, whatever, you're 9, 10, 11, 12, some people realize it at different ages, and you're watching a movie, and there's a complex adult joke that you might not have gotten, you know, mm. two years before, but then it, you get it, and you're like, oh, yes, now I understand why that's funny. Mm-hmm. So you're saying the first movie where I had that aha moment. That's right. I get that now. I'm at a new level of understanding comedy. Yes. Ooh, my brain is spinning with movies that I watched a lot as a kid. Um, (laughs) The first one that comes to mind is a very, is surprising to me, is um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Did you ever see this film? Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> so at the end of the movie, the kid goes. Uh, so there's the so when they're like you know tiny and in the grass, two of them end up like kissing, and somebody says, "I haven't seen this movie in so long, so I'm kind of cobbling this together to That's get fine. to what the joke was." But they kiss, and then somebody says something like, "What is the French class?" <laughs> and then at the very end of the film, when they're full sized again they're at dinner it's like you know wrapping it up the family's fine everyone's safe yep one of the kids goes out of nowhere oh i get it french class (laughs) and and when i first saw that movie that made me laugh because the kid thought it was so funny but i didn't get it right i didn't know what a french kiss was but I still thought it was funny. I was like, haha, he's just realizing something. But it didn't dawn on me, like, but why aren't you? Right. Um, and then I saw that later, probably in like sixth grade or fifth grade or seventh grade. I don't know when that movie came out. And it might have only been a year later. It doesn't take much time to pass before you go from a kid who doesn't know what a French kiss is to a kid who does. That's right. And then that joke really, I was like, it was like a meta thing for me because I was like, I didn't get this before and now I get it. And now I understand adult humor. That's right. not an adult joke. <laughs> You've <laughs> learned it all. Yeah. It only takes yeah, one game was... of spin the bottle to go from not knowing what a French kiss is <laughs> to knowing what a French kiss is. Um, totally. And how about hats off to the people that, um, you know, made that movie because when it first came <laughs> out, I'm like, okay, what a stupid idea. But, then you watch it and it's like, okay, I like Rick Moranis. It's a funny, yep. it, it's a funny movie, but they didn't stop there. Then it was, 
I think, honey, I blew up the kids. Honey, I blew up the dog. <laughs> I mean, they stretched it out and they and they got there. They got a few extra checks in the mail. So good for good for all those people. They right? did. Yeah. And I just looked it up and it was released in summer of 89. Okay. So I was not even eight. So I definitely didn't get that joke. But I can see a world where I watched it off of the television, like, yes. you know, at 10 and then was like, oh, cool, cool French kiss joke. I get it. Got it. I've learned it all. Um, okay. What are your thoughts on the fourth dentist that does not recommend sugar-free gum to their patients that chew gum? Mm, I like that dentist. You, I think you, that dentist oh. is not under the thumb of big toothpaste, <laughs> big gum. <laughs> he, won't, he will not be silenced. No, he won't. Yeah. He said, I went to school for this. My patients trust me. I'm not taking a check from Trident. Yep, and they've been trying like to pay him off for so long, and he won't. He won't yeah, back in. I, I, yeah. I assume that's what gum companies spend most of their money on is paying <laughs> off dentists. That's right. And so that dentist to me is a hero and an activist. He's that line that that we need around us uh, for protection. That's right, and, and we appreciate that. Yes. The day that we hear that ten out of ten dentists recommend is the day that we should actually all really be scared. Right. We're gonna have to really put our heads together and we're gonna be in trouble for sure. Okay, so <laughs> we talked earlier about the Herald being, you know, kind of tricky and it, mm-hmm. some of the people listening are gonna understand what a Herald is, so I won't uh it's basically just a an improv structure and it's used um it it certainly used by UCB as a, as the main form of long uh, long form in private. If I get any of this wrong, you just immediately correct me. Um, but I guess my question for you is when you were learning it, right? Because you went from that class in high school to you should, you know, next thing you know, you're going to IO and you're all these high level, you're around these high level improv people. And now again, you're with rat scraps and um, the proof is in the pudding there. When you were learning it though, what part of the Herald like tripped you up the most? Like, what was it that were just like, oh, I get all this stuff, but this one thing right here is like, yeah, it's not working. Well, so I first learned it in Chicago at I.O., and I.O. doesn't really care. <laughs> so, like, you learn the Herald as like a loose suggestion of a form, okay. but it doesn't really matter if you do all the things. Oh. So that's just a good background for, I then moved to New York. And started taking UCB, and that is like, find the game. Repeat the game in a different way in the second beat. Heighten it. Hit it again in the third beat. And it was like, to me, so to be honest with you, the beginning of it, all of it was hard. I was totally confused, Mm. and I actually was sad because I thought that this meant I couldn't do improv in New York because I didn't know what the hell anyone was talking about. Oh, my God, isn't that wild? It felt to me like my teachers were telling me, that I had to plan the show ahead of time. I really thought that I was like, I thought that was what was being communicated. Like you need to write the show on the back line and then find a way to make your scene partner do what you want. Hmm. And I went up to my 201 teacher and I was like, I think he assumed I was being a jerk, but I really was confused. I was like, so you have to be a sketch writer to do improv at UCB. And he was like, what? And I was like, you have to be a writer. And he was like, no. And I said, but, but well, I don't understand what's the improv part. And he was like, you're making up the whole thing. And I just went, okay. But in my head, I was like, no, you're not. I was so confused. So the whole thing. But then once I got 
better at it and was able to actually realize that it's semantics and merge the two worlds. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing for me, um, and it was a joke Joey Price and I had on our Herald team together, is that we should never be in a second beat together. I couldn't, for the life of me, ever think of a second beat. Now I can because I've taught it, so I've gotten better at it. Mm -hmm. But when I was doing them, I just committed hard to something that I knew was not actually what a second beat was supposed to be. Right, right. I, I mean, it, yeah. it's so interesting because I, I mean, I always, I, I always felt like, okay, what's the most important part? I always felt like the opening, the opening was the most important part because if you don't have a good opening, then you have a lot less clay to work with when you're trying to cobble together, you know. And I think the first beat is obviously super important; it sets the tone. Um, third beat can be kind of a little bit wacky, but that second beat, if you don't have a lot of material from the opening. Um, it's tough to, to keep, to stretch it because if you don't, you don't have depth, you don't have like specificity. If you don't have anything, any place to go, it, it can become challenging. But I guess my question to you is, do you think, do you agree with that? Or do you think that it, there is no one most important because you can make up for a bad opening with a better, uh, finish to a first or a second beat? Or do you think that there is actually something to you? If you don't have a good opening, you're in trouble. I think the opening doesn't matter. <laughs> is that right? I think it's, yeah, I think it's fun when you have a good opening and you have things you're excited about. But everyone who gets to the point of learning how to do premise improv, which is when you have an opening that you're pulling from, mm -hmm. knows at that point how to do organic improv, which is just a word and then you go, right? Mm -hmm. So I think worst case scenario, your opening is garbage and you're like, wow, those, those ideas were bad or we didn't have any ideas. You just do a bunch of first beats that are off of a vague notion of something that came up. Yeah. And and immediately, I always say this to my students, once the opening is over and you are like, I'm going to use this idea, it goes away and who cares and never think about it again. Right. Um, so I think the most important thing probably is the first beat because that's where you really connect with each other and start to have fun. Mm -hmm. And then if your first beats are fun, whether or not they honor the opening or not, you kind of set yourself up for, Ooh, I can't wait to revisit this in the second beats and the third beats. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it really, you know, you could always get notes like, Hey, you kind of had this idea in the opening and then you didn't use it. Or you had this idea and then you changed it. But ultimately I don't think it really matters. And maybe that's the Chicago in me. Right. <laughs> the Chicago rebel. But, yeah. Yeah, but I would always say to my students, like, if you go into a Herald going, oh, no, our opening was bad, then your show's going to be bad. Right. You go in the Herald going, okay, the opening's over. <laughs> then, then anything can happen. It's like going into a sports game and being like, wow, our practice was bad. We're going to get our asses kicked. It's like, well, now you will. Right. So your your mental stability, your mental state, keeping a positive framework is as important mm -hmm. with improv as it is with every other aspect of life. I think so. You got to keep the stakes sense. low, even with stuff that's important to you. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about the Herald a little bit more. So um, I personally, I thought it was a great way to learn, especially, um, you know, some of the classes I took were, were online. I, I felt like it was, it was nice to have that framework to keep people a little bit inside the guardrails. But I've talked to a lot of people that say, okay, you know, the Herald as a format, to put on a live improv show isn't necessarily the most entertaining and it isn't necessarily the one that really talented imp improv artists want to 
use. So then I started thinking like, all right, well, CrossFit, right? So CrossFit is an mm. athletic endeavor and it's an athletic endeavor that if you do it all the time, you're going to be good at any other type of sport. You're going to instantly get better. And, but it's not necessarily fun. To, I'd rather watch basketball or some <laughs> other sport than CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if the Herald is the equivalent of CrossFit in the improv world in that it makes you a better improviser. It makes you more easy to work with, but it might not be the most entertaining. And I wanted to get your perspective on that. I think 100% that's true. Really? I always say there's a reason why people who don't have to do Herald don't do Herald. <laughs> like there's no show, there, as far as I know, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's any improv show where people are doing Herald where the theater they're performing in hasn't said you have to do Herald. Right. If you don't have to do Herald, you never do them. But learning the Herald at UCB um, definitely made me a better improviser. Definitely, right. definitely. Um, so, uh, and one of the reasons that they're not that they're not as fun to do. They can be really fun to do, and when they're fun to do, it feels really good because they are tricky. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons they're not as entertaining potentially as other things and not as fun to do is just the number of restrictions on them. Like most right. other improv forms have restrictions, but those restrictions are kind of a safety net. Yeah. The Herald has so many that you constantly have to go, Oh, I would do this, but we can't. <laughs> right. um, and that just, that alone makes it for a less kind of free and fun experience. Um, but I do think, I do think there's value in it and, but I also kind of, like I was saying before, I do think like, unfortunately, and to be honest, I think this is maybe a little bit of UCB's fault. I think that people, students especially get really hard on themselves about, did we do a good Herald? (laughs) And I really think it's almost impossible to do a perfect Herald. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) I would always say to my students, like, here are my notes. But also, you just improvised, like, one of the trickiest forms. And, like, I I felt like you were having fun the whole time. It felt fun to me. So good job acting if you weren't having fun. That's, like, 10% of it is pretending that you're having a good time, even if you're not. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, but I think I had a lot of students who felt like notes were, like, Oh, yeah, we still haven't mastered the Herald. And the reality is you could watch the best improvisers in the world do a Herald and it would probably be a garbage Herald. Mm. Or they would fuck around with the form and get to a place where it was like, was that a Herald? Because (laughs) it doesn't, yeah. So I think that's the problem is it's like, it feels like, oh, we still have to be good at third beats. That was good, but this wasn't good. It's like, none of it is going to be perfect. It's such a restrictive, weird form. Yeah. I remember watching, um, it was, I think it was the stepfathers, but it was, I think you and um, Sebastian Canelli were on the same team. And I remember watching one and I'm just thinking it was, I was given it to watch as an assignment. I thought, oh my God, that, that is so perfect. That's so funny. And then the teacher who was teaching the class, like, you know, pointed out all these things that were wrong. And I'm just like, what? Like, that was wrong? How could – and I just, I just remember thinking, like, if that's wrong, then I'm I'm doomed. Because I, I, per, I personally feel like it's super funny. So – and at the end of the day, what I walked away with, you know, was at the – it's all about if you're enjoying yourself and if the people are there enjoying themselves. And after that, it almost is immaterial 
what goes on. I'm yeah, if you were watching Sebastian and me do a Herald, it was when we were on Herald night together. Cause this, this, to my point, the stepfathers, weekend teams didn't have to do a Herald. The okay. stepfathers never, ever, ever did a Herald, <laughs> ever. Oh, I think so cool. there was a time at UCB where they had this one Herald night where weekend teams did Herald. Um, it was supposed to be just this fun thing. Like you can go for free students and you get to see these people do Herald. So I think I did a Herald with stepfathers once, but again, did we do a Herald? Probably not. (laughs) Um, Uh, I feel so much better. I wish I had this talk like two years ago. Um, (laughs) I feel much better about everything that I've learned. Um, okay. Yeah. You can retroactively let yourself off the hook. There, there you go. It's all the Velcro's gone. Um, what type of music do you like? Oh my gosh, all sorts. Um, I love, love, love Fiona Apple. Um, I got a soft spot in my heart for Tupac. Um, I listened to a lot of Tupac in high school. Yep. Um, I like, my best friend makes fun of me and says, I like a man with a guitar. Um, Like, (laughs) like, um, or a man with a piano, like Rufus Wainwright, or, um, why can I think of his name? Who sings Jolene? Who's not Dolly Parton? It's not a cover. It's a different song. Oh, he sings Trouble. Ray LaMontagne. Oh, yep, yep, yep. From Nashville, New Hampshire. Um. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I don't. I'm very bad about. I love Fleetwood Mac. I, um. I watched the Beatles, the uh, Let It Be documentary. Um, Amazing. And already liked the Beatles, and then I sort of fell in love with them, and now I want to watch that documentary again. So, I don't know. I like all sorts. I'm not good at, I'm not somebody who's ever been curious about new music. Mm -hmm. I will just hear something and go, ooh, I like that. And then somebody will be like, that's Amy Winehouse. And I'm like, oh. And then I download it. Um, Yep, yep. But I, so I've never been somebody who knows what genres I like. Although I can say typically I'm not a big, I don't like death metal. Yep. Um, not a big pop country person. Same. I like country, like older country that's more folksy, I guess, like mm-hmm. Johnny Cash or Dolly Parton. Um, but yeah, it's easier for me to say the music I don't like because otherwise I do think there's probably some version of that um, that genre on my on my music somewhere. You don't box yourself in. You uh, allow any form no. of music to speak to you, and that's awesome. That's what music is all about. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So on that same note of the country, is uh, a guy named Glenn Campbell, um, mm-hmm. who uh, I guess for the time that he put his music out, I guess it would have to be indicated that he because he wasn't like a Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings type guy. He was more of a pop country guy. But some of those old folksy country songs from back in like the late sixties, early seventies, they still kind of hold up. And, um, you know, there's, there's a time and a place for every, every type of music, except for death metal. I'm with you on that one. It's true. It's true. Okay. So we have a, I'm always fascinated. Yeah. No, 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 go go ahead. ahead. No, you ever fascinated by what? I was just going to say, I'm fascinated. I think human beings are interesting and music is a good example. Like, I know somebody who truly loves death metal with everything in his body. He's a mm. really sweet guy. And I just am like, wow, that like affects him on some level that doesn't exist in me. Right. And isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. 
No, totally. I mean, and that that is there's there's a music type for every single person out there, and that's what's so beautiful about it. All right, we've got a really mm-hmm. big problem. We've got a scourge, and and I need your help um, to break it down and try to fix it. And since I know you don't own a car, I'm fairly certain that I'm not going to, um, you know, give you any critical information here, which is good. But are you familiar with um, <clears throat> the plague that's called the Jeep Wave? Have you heard of this? No. So there's this thing. It's really it's elitism. It's class warfare. Uh, it needs to be stopped. And basically, if you drive a Jeep Wrangler, and it's got to be a Jeep Wrangler. It can't be a Renegade. It can't be a Sahara. It can't be any other type of a Jeep, even if it looks similar. It's got to be a Wrangler. And then you automatically do this thing where you give, like, <clears throat> a little Jeep wave. Like, you're, you're, you're driving on the street and give, like, the peace sign or the surf's up. And the other person driving the Jeep gives your wave back. And they actually have taken it to the point where they're like, um, "Ooh, that's my dog." Sorry. Oh, I love dogs. Um, and they've okay. taken it to the point where they're they're advertising, like, pardon me, they're advertising the the Jeep Wave, like they're promoting it, like, don't forget the Jeep Wave. And, oh, and yeah, weird. and it's it is weird because here's the thing: it's like you know, all motorcycles wave to each other, all boats wave to each other. They don't class <laughs> it down by what type of boat or what type of motorcycle right for some reason these jeep owners are so weird about their car and by the way they're one of the most common cars out there like everybody owns one and um i just think that it needs to be kind of stopped and and called out for what it is and i wanted to see if you had any ideas on on how we might be able to get this senseless thoughtless um you know uncaring act to to cease (laughs) um Maybe if the first thing I thought of was maybe if everyone in any other kind of car um, forced people in Jeep Wranglers to wave back at them, too, (laughs) then the people in Jeep Wranglers would be like, oh, this is such a burden and not want to do it ever. Right. Kill them with their own. Not only would they not want to do it ever, but people who are thinking about buying cars, their friends with Jeep Wranglers would be like, don't get a Jeep Wrangler because everyone waves at you. Right. And then Jeep would pay the price. And that's what we ultimately want is the, is the corporation to pay the price. Amen. There you go. We shouldn't be putting all of this on the drivers of the vehicles. They're just sucked into the mass hysteria created by uh, Jeep Chrysler. I like that. It is funny that it's a specific kind of Jeep, that if you're in a Jeep renegade, don't you dare wave. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's you won't crazy. get away back. No, you will not get away back. Um, so tell us about your dog. What kind of dog do you have? She is a 95-pound lab Great Pyrenees mix. Whoa. And Big girl. She once in a while starts barking in my bedroom at a noise she heard, and then I have to make her come in the living room and shut the door. We were up in Vermont recently, and she does not bark as much when she's not in the city, and that made me feel bad because I think she thinks she has to work when she's here. Oh, interesting. So she's like kind of yeah. – do you think that's like she's on, she's got to do something because she's at her home base? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think it's like, yes, I think it's territorial, but I also think it's because there's noises all the time. Oh, right. Whereas when we were in Vermont, she barked a little bit. There was like train tracks near our Airbnb and the train would go by like three times a day. Yep. And sometimes she'd give a little acknowledgement of like something is near this house. But generally she was fully relaxed and quiet. And it was, I was happy for me and her. And then it made me feel like, sorry, you think you have to be on guard. 
all the time in, in Brooklyn. <laughs> right. On guard in Brooklyn. Um, okay. What book are you reading right now? Oh, good question. I, uh, I got a Atlantic and New Yorker subscription for my birthday a year ago. Oh, cool. Um, over a year ago and have not read a book since then because it's overwhelming. The New Yorker comes every week. It takes an entire week, if not more to read it. Um, and so I haven't read a book and I'm so behind, but I'm on my last New Yorker, December 27th. Wow. <laughs> and my last Atlantic. And then I cannot wait to open a book. Okay. So let's, for the ignorant, including myself, are both of those publications monthly? The New Yorker is weekly. The Atlantic is monthly. Okay. So that's, um, a, that's a lot and I of was, it's a ton. And uh, and the problem is that both of them are incredible magazines. Yep. So it's often the case that I want to read the whole thing, um, which is a lot. So I got really far behind. Um, I wasn't far behind for a long time. And then starting in like the end of October, I got pretty far behind because I thought the New Yorker was going to stop and it didn't. And I yep. learned that my friend who got it for me had renewed it. I said, please cancel <laughs> Please. It's too much of a I love this present, but I need a year of reading books, yes. and then we can talk. Yeah, uh, that's a fair request. Uh, what TV show makes you laugh the most? Um, I know this is weird because you just plugged that I was on it, but this was true before. I don't laugh out loud a lot, and I actually like sad things more than funny things. <laughs> but last week tonight was John Oliver really makes me laugh out loud and I think it might be because it's not just a comedy I feel like I connect with things where it's like this is important oh that was funny yeah um it really makes me laugh out loud which is a big deal for me I'm, I think the most I'll sometimes do if I'm watching a comedy in my home alone is smile but I'll straight up giggle at John Oliver yeah I actually went I watched the um the interrogation skit that you were in and um, uh-huh. one thing I love about the way he does it is he'll he'll find some old footage and then he'll just stop and comment on the absurdity of certain parts of it. <laughs> and it's it's yeah. so it's so obvious. But the way he does it is just so brilliant. Like his delivery is among my favorite. It is. Yeah. The whole show is so good. Yeah. That episode, I was really laughing a lot at that clip from One Tree Hill. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So funny. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you guys got to go check it out. Okay, we are down to our last. Oh, please go ahead. Oh, good. I was just going to plug a show that's now canceled that really makes me laugh out loud, too, which is 1015. What's it called? On Hulu. 1015. Oh, yes. Like, yeah, yeah. Two girls pretending to be like middle schoolers. Yeah, it took me a while to watch it because everyone was like, yeah, it's funny. These adult women play middle schoolers. And I was like, okay, I don't care. It is so, it really makes me laugh out loud, but it's also, like I just told you, I love things that feel important. I think it's so beautiful, too. It makes me tear up, but when it makes me laugh, it really makes me laugh. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's... Plug for a canceled show. Plug for a canceled show, but you know what? In the the age, see, if you canceled, if you had a show in the 80s and it was canceled, you were screwed. But nowadays, if you have a show that's canceled, it never really goes away because somebody somewhere is streaming it and you can go find it. And I think that you can watch all of Pen15 on Hulu, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You can. And I also believe that the ending of it, canceled is the wrong word. I think they were like, okay, we're done. 
We did it. Um, which I sort of like because I like the British office where it was like, wow, yes. that was brilliant for three seasons and then it's over. I like that. I do too. I wish that they would do that to more shows and just get two or three really quality seasons and then wrap it up and call mm-hmm. it a day, move on to something new. Agreed. Um, okay, so second to last question. What are your feelings on um, the recently uh, penned opinion that hummingbirds actually make the best pets in the world? And the reasons for that is that, you know, um, you never have to buy them any food. All they, they drink sugar water, so it's household uh, appliance that you never have to take them for walks. Um, they come by and say hi. They're only there certain periods of time. You don't have to buy chew toys for them. You don't have to take them to the vet. There's a lot of really, um, you know, important positives having hummingbirds as pets. And I'm talking about like a hummingbird feeder outside, not inside. So these birds okay, are free. Okay, that was my question. Yeah, no, Got these it. birds are free. And that's the other one of the great things about it is you're not disrupting their their natural life. They get to have a family. Right. They get to do whatever they want, move to Florida when they get older, the whole deal. Um, but I wanted to get your opinion on that. I think that that means it's not your pet. You just have a really beautiful relationship with a bird, (laughs) (laughs) which I love. And I'm a big fan. Like if dogs were able to live outside and live their lives and, um, all of that, I probably wouldn't keep one inside. I just befriend a dog. Um, so I, I like that. I think that's beautiful. I just don't know that that means that it's your pet. If it's your pet, then you are also the hummingbird's pet. I've got news. Ah, interesting. And I like that. The definition of pet is the key variable, but it might be a symbiotic situation where you're both the pets of each other, which, by the way, isn't terrible. That's not terrible. Yeah, I think that's very sweet. Yeah. All right. I do, too. We are down to the final question. It's the easiest question of all. Um, where can the good people uh, listening to the show in the studio here, uh, where can they learn more about Alex Dixon? Where where do you perform? Where can they find you on social media, et cetera? Well, I'm a freak who got off social media completely December 2020. Okay. <laughs> so they cannot find me on social media. I do have a website, though. Um, which is Alexandra-Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N.com. Um, and if you want to, to talk to me, like at the DM, there's a form you can fill out. And it sends me an email. Um, and then Rat Scraps is every Sunday at Caveat on the Lower East Side of Manhattan at 7.30 p.m. Um, and it's also streaming, so it's exciting because, you know, there was a time not too long ago where if you wanted to see someone improvise, you had to go to that city. And now you can watch it streaming. Um, also, Vermont Comedy Club, I've been up there a few times, and they have started streaming. I go up with Zach Cherry and Connor Ratliff, oh, and they have started streaming their shows. So if you go to my website, you can see on my shows page where I'm going to be, and if you see a Vermont Comedy Club uh, thing on my calendar, that means you can get a streaming ticket if you're not in Burlington. Oh, very cool. Inside um, information. Oh, and also, yep. since you're up in New Hampshire, I'll plug this. In August, Connor Ratliff, Zach Cherry, and I are doing a as-yet-to-be-determined comedy thing at the band Gusters on the Ocean weekend event. Get they do here. this like adult camp-type fun, immersive, I-don't-really-understand-it thing. Yeah, it's Thompson's Point. Um, 
It's Thompson's Point in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. And so the three of us are going up and we're going to be on a beach stage doing something fun. I don't know if it will be improv, but it will be improv adjacent if it's not fully improv. Um, so so if you like Guster or you just want to do something fun outside in that area of the country, Portland, Maine, come see it. I think it's August, the weekend of August 13th, I believe is that weekend. That's awesome. Um, I do like Guster and I've been there a bunch of times. I've seen the shins there and all kinds of other, uh, groups. Yeah. And it's right on the water. It's gorgeous. It's really well laid out and it never gets too crowded. It's, um, it's everything that you think a concert venue in Maine would be. It's, um, it's, oh, cool. it's all those things. And I think it's so cool that you get a chance to do improv from with a guy that's on Severance. I mean, he's Dylan on Severance, and that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, great that show, rule. too. Yeah. Um, all right. So, mm-hmm. And one, I'm going to throw another plug out there for you. If you guys are into uh, improv in any way, check out Rat Scraps. The, it's like go to their website and see it's like a killer's lineup, like a murderous row of improv. Like they took all the best people out there and they're all in this uh, potential for being on the show every Sunday. And it's really, really good. In fact, I'm going to be going down to New York to see it live because it's it's that good. Uh, it's worth driving from New York for. Um, if you could see the audience here, Alex, you would be really impressed. They are doing the wave for you. Um, oh, got, wow. Yep, they've got big, huge flags, like those soccer stadium flags with your face on it, and they're just so happy that you're here. Um, they're cheering, as you can hear. Oh, and, thanks, guys. And I wanted to sincerely say thank you for taking time and, and answering my 20 questions. Uh, really appreciate That's it, important. and I hope you have a great night. It was a blast. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Bye.